Hello, welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 327 for April 19th, 2021. Today's guest is writer and performer Julie Pinheiro, whose solo show, De Lejos From Afar, is running right now. You can find it on her website. I'll put links. Um, ah, I'm super excited about this conversation. We talk so much. Her show deals a lot with grief, but what we talk about in this episode is grief plus gratitude for having the love that became the source of the loss of the grief. It's a great conversation, and I really did not explain it well right then. But I, I don't think there is a good way to describe that, um, as you'll hear. But we talk about it really well. <laughs> I need to stop. The show is streaming for one final week. I think there's just one or two more performances. I'm seeing it this coming Thursday. Um, you should grab a ticket and watch it with me. The thing that's kind of cool, I'm talking about the show too much. This is the part where I'm introducing the show and myself. I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have a conversation with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 15 years. I should say well over 15 years. We're closing in on the 16th anniversary of this podcast. What? If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory and you can find me literally anywhere. If there's a directory where you don't find me, let me know and I'll get there. If you'd like to know more about me and my performance work and my music and all that stuff, you can stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron or email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com. So as I mentioned in the beginning, um, I'm going to see this show on Thursday. I watched some part of um, a, a recording of it, but it's performed live in a Zoom room. And there was something very intimate about the show that made me want to turn it off <laughs> and watch it when she's performing it live. So if you're listening to this and this sounds like an interesting show to you, I'm sure you might want to hear part of the interview first, but or you could take my word for it. Um, grab a ticket and let's watch it together this Thursday night. Um, all its information, as I mentioned, will be in the show notes and we talk about it in the interview as well. Also, this weekend, um, Planet of the Grapes, which I mentioned last week, the show that I wrote music for, Peter Michael Marino's um, his uh, version of Planet of the Apes um, done in toy theater style with music that I r r created, composed. That's the word for when you make music from nothing. And uh, we got a couple of great reviews already. And I'm really proud and delighted to be a part of this project. So check out Planet of the Grapes. And really, that's it. So I want to jump right into this interview, but not without first thanking my new subscriber, Ian, and my existing subscribers on Patreon for powering this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines, bonus podcasts, like nearly 70 of them at this point. You'll have immediate access to all of that stuff when you subscribe on Patreon, including, did I already say downloads of my, yeah, I said all of that, uh, including <laughs> this week's bonus episode, which will feature an extended conversation with today's guest, Julie Pinheiro. And um, ah, it's so good. Our conversation today is so good. The bonus conversation is so good. And why don't I just hush and um, let's get to the interview. Oh, one last thing. I need to thank Shark Party Media. Um, they have been sending me some of these great guests that I've talked to lately who like, 
I don't even, I can't even, they've been sending guests for a long time. But recently, well, they've always been good guests, but just re- lately I'm like, ah, these are great. So that's how I found out about Julie I'm talking to today. Sheila Carrasco, uh, Ana La Madrid, I Am A Theater Company, all of these places, all of these people. Um, I'm so grateful to Shark Party Media for sending these people to me. and Keep them coming. All right. So uh, I think that's everything. Let's get into the interview. Here's my talk with Julie. Joining me now on the podcast is Julie Pinheiro. We're going to be talking about her solo show, Delejos from Afar. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Mikey. Yeah, I figured I should say welcome to the show before I go deep and like, it's so good. I haven't watched the whole show, I have to confess, but it's partly because when I was watching it, it feels so intimate with the audience and what you're doing. I was a little bit like, I want to watch this. I was watching a recording of it. Uh, yeah. I want to see the the thing itself. It's it's such a great piece. Maybe you could give us a little um, background of, w- of what the piece is for people who don't know yet. Yes, absolutely. So it takes place live in a Zoom room. Um, it is an intimate gathering. Absolutely. Um, I am live scoring it on my electric guitar. There are no headset required VR interludes. Um, and it's essentially just a long story, uh, that weaves together again, live music, stand up. I do my own stand up and VR. Um, and I'm pretty much just talking to the camera in the same way that you would on any video call. It's almost indistinguishable just from, you know, you checking in with your friend about what's been going on in their life and the way that we do now. Um, but it takes in the game or in the, it's kind of a hybrid of a, of a video game, um, and also a live story. I take a journey through the virtual reality video game that my partner Jose was working on just before he passed away unexpectedly in 2019. Um, the name of the game that he was working on is De Lejos. Um, and after he passed away, I was desperate to stay connected to him in any way that I could. Um, and, you know, when I started writing this project, I kind of realized that staying connected to someone that you love from afar was something that he um, had already started exploring in this game. Because when he was creating the game De Lejos, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but he's a VR video game designer. When he was creating the game De Lejos, he was making it around his experience of having to connect back to his home and family from afar um, after his experience of um, forced immigration from Venezuela. And so he would send players on a journey to kind of find this way to connect to something they love from afar. So all of the sudden, that took on this whole new meaning for me once he was gone. Um and it also took on a new meaning once we went into the pandemic. You know, <laughs> I, I started writing this in uh, at the very, very end of 2019, just after he passed away. And then all of a sudden quarantine hit and I was working on it. And, and it was something that I felt really compared, compelled to share with the world because it felt like maybe there was something that he knew about connecting from afar that all of us could benefit from even after he passed away. You know, and myself, myself, you know, it started out as this journey just for myself. Um, and it's, and it, you know, through this project, I continue to stay connected with him too. That uh, I've, I've written some grief related things too. And so it, 
it's it's like I want to talk more about that, but there's that feeling of like, oh no, I don't want to like bring anything up. But I think that's what the show is about, no. right? Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's what it, you know. And and I'm so glad that you said that you have written grief stuff too, because I was so struck by how, um, like, si- not silence, but how how extraordinary the experience of grief was in a in a good way and in a bad way right because it's these for me it was these like very two two very competing feelings of destruction and devastation but then also gratitude that I ever had any time with him anyways and that was really illuminated in my case because I had you know we had only been dating for a few months before he passed away so it was just so lucky that I I felt so lucky that I had any time with him but it's this experience of like grief that can be so overwhelming that it can be totally silencing. Like it can, you know, having those experiences kind of clashing with each other can make us feel like we don't want (laughs) to, we don't want to investigate it. Like it's too overwhelming. It's too much. Um, And Jose was a person who, who was exploring that feeling, you know, with the gusto of a game designer. So, um, so, you know, I can only speak on my own grief experience, but it has been something that has empowered me to to talk about it and explore mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I always, I don't know that I always think this. I often think about this kid when I was a little kid. Um, one of my neighbors' schoolmates, I was probably elementary school, lost mm-hmm. her mom, and I was getting on the school bus, and she was sitting on the school bus, and I said, "I'm so sorry, your mom died," or you know something like that. And one of my friends was like, "Don't say that!" Like I remember this moment of like, yeah. Well, I, I was just, oh, okay, right. I, I'm not supposed to talk about that. Um, right. And I really internalize that. I think that's part of, you know, what, what kind of comes up when talking about grief and for yeah. a lot of people, right? Like people don't know what to say or, and yeah. then they don't say anything from either side, yeah. I guess, like you were saying, yeah. it can silence you, your own grief. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious, did that experience, do you feel like that followed you into your adulthood? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things in my childhood that like encouraged me to like stuff feelings away. But I, but I feel like that was a you know a formative moment just in in my relationship with grief because to yeah. me, like as a little kid, like I work with kids too as a music teacher, they are just open and expressive, and that was a moment as a kid that I got like, no, no, not like that. <laughs> You're not supposed yep. to do that. For sure. For sure. There was this one thing that people would always say to me in the early days where they they would say, I can't imagine what you're going through. And it wasn't something that made me mad at the time, but I was always super curious, like, yes, you can imagine. That's what your imagination is for. Like, I almost (laughs) want you to step into my shoes and say, I can imagine what you're going through. It must really suck or it must be really confusing or it must be really jarring and almost sit with me in the grief. I felt like when people would say, I can't imagine what you're going through, they were like, oh, you are standing 500 feet away from me, despite being right next to me, aren't you? And that would make me feel even more alone. So I totally agree with you that, that you know, grief is one of those things that I think people are like afraid of upsetting you, maybe making you think of something that you don't want to think of or whatever. But in my experience, and I get, I, I know that my grief was really you know, I think everyone grieves really differently. And my grief was like a really particular experience. But all I wanted to do was to talk about Jose. And all I wanted to do was like, introduce him to all the people I didn't have a chance to introduce him to and talking about him made him feel very present. 
Um, and, and talking about what I was feeling made me feel validated in my feelings. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome in my grief and feeling like I couldn't, I shouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling or even I shouldn't be grieving the way I'm grieving. And that really sucks. You know, that sucks to be, to almost double down on yourself when you're at your worst. Um, but yeah, it's almost like if we all just talked a little bit more about, about like the absolute shithole that grief could be. <laughs> yeah. You talked about how it made the, the show, or did you say this, like writing the show and putting it together made you feel more, well, you said telling stories about him made you feel mm-hmm. more connected to him. And I guess the show, putting the show together had the same yeah. effect. And do you, did I notice correctly that you credit him as a writer of the show? Yeah, and that that the the show actually explores that exact point um, a little bit more specifically. Um, since he is a, since this was his video game, um, you know that's like the kind of the technical credit that goes to him that this is a, the game that he had already started, and I kind of took a journey through. Um, but you know something that gets the point that gets explored further in the show is that like there is a collaboration between him and I that's happening after he's passed away. Um, and so much of that has to do with what I was feeling in the early days of grief, which was like, you know, again, this desperate, desperate need to stay connected to him. A lot of that was, you know, we were, we were just starting to date, you know, and uh, we had, you know, we had just fallen in love and I was the one that had the walls up and I had this, you know, this really intense need to, to kind of continue that connection with him. And there we did have a language through which, you know, we had already established communication, which was through creativity. Like we were both romantic partners, but we also we were also creative partners and we were. Um, we were doing comedy together and we had just two weeks before he died, decided to start a band together and we were doing VR together. And so I thought, you know, if I can explore this language of creativity through my grief, then it can be almost this way that we are both continuing to speak together and we are both continuing to kind of live this future that we were never given this future that was like really brutally taken away from each other. Um, And, you know, having that shared language requires a connection, you know, and this piece is in many ways, in infinite ways about connection, but that connection in particular is through flow. And that's something that, again, gets really explored throughout the kind of the bulk of the piece. But, um, you know, for me, the this piece is all about figuring out how to stay connected to him and how we stay connected to things that we have lost um, when they're far from us Um, and connecting over distance through me that has been through flow with him and through creativity and through creating this piece. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like, there's so many layers as you obviously know, because you've written a piece yeah. Um, and then this extra layer of we're in a pandemic and people need yeah. to know how to connect to each other from afar. Yeah. Um, I feel like this kind of has could be like an obvious question, but I'm also curious, maybe there are some ways that it isn't obvious how you started writing the piece to be performed in a theater, I assume. And and now it's it's a Zoom thing. Like, I, I'm trying to formulate exactly what I want to <laughs> ask about that. Did yeah. it? 
does it feel like this is how it was supposed to be all along? Yeah, it totally does, which is crazy because when I started writing it, you know, for the theater, it wasn't even, I didn't even really know what I was writing. I kind of wrote it with the intention of getting on stage with with my guitar and, and telling it in some way. Um, but yeah, there was this point where, where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell this story. Like I, like this story is particularly precious in this moment because everyone is experiencing both collective grief and isolation from people they love. Everybody has like both grief and distance, which are the two things that I felt like, you know, only three months prior to the pandemic hitting, I was fully in over my head in both of those, you know, once Jose passed away. And so, um, doing this piece was as much cathartic for me as it was, as it is like an offering to people during the pandemic of being like, okay, listen, I know that we're all sick of zoom. I know that we all (laughs) reluctantly get on it to connect with our family members and do meetings and whatever it is, but I'm going to invite you into a zoom room where I want you to take a massive leap of faith with me. You're going to get to know this person. You're going to fall in love with him and you're going to lose him. And I'm sorry. And I am (laughs) with you on that, but we're all going to come out of it at the end because we have all agreed to take this leap of faith. <laughs> and this and this is the thing that has been so beautiful about this is that it's hard to tell over Zoom how the piece is being received, right? We ask people to turn their cameras on. You can't quite really tell. Um, but just the fact that everyone, we have this, this very short intermission and I'm always worried that people aren't going to come back because it's so sad. And it's it, like, the story is sad but it's also really joyful and it's funny and it's uplifting and people always come back after the intermission. And then I get this incredible feedback after where people have like both grieved his his loss, but also been grateful for having been introduced to how he saw the world. And that's what I'm, that's the space I'm trying to embody this space of both good and bad, right? Like you are, this this is really how I felt after I lost him. I was devastated, but I was also so incredibly grateful that the stars had aligned for us to even have met in the first place and that I was exposed to this person that was so um, just brilliant in the way that he saw the world. And that was the vision I wanted to carry forward. And so if we can all connect over that, despite the distance and despite being on zoom where we all have our meetings, like despite the collective grief that we're all feeling, like if we can all rally around that, then that's like, I don't know. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) It's cathartic for me. It's healing for me. Like this whole thing has been really healing for me. Uh, Again with the levels, there's like, (laughs) like, Well, I I was thinking of a couple of things about what you were just saying. One of them is that fear. Like, I think that fear exists in real life shows, too, that like, what if people are like, oh, this sucks. I'm not coming back for act two. And at home on Zoom, it's so much easier. Just like, okay, that I shut my laptop and that's no longer existing now. Um, But I wonder if that's part of what makes people come back, like having there's a certain amount of like distance they get to keep from yeah. the material while it's so intimate they can have their experience yeah. and on their couch. Yeah. 
And I'm so glad you said that because what I'm finding more and more is that everybody takes a really different journey through this piece. Like this is not, I'm not, this is the story of my grief. This is not the universal story of grief. This is the story of my relationship with my Latinidad. This is not the story of Latinidad, but people find these little morsels and every show people reach out and say that like a different thing has resonated, which is really cool because I think you're, I think you're totally right about people having it's, you know, distance is explored in this show. So it would make sense that like the distance between you and this performance almost allows you to explore it even more. And that's like a central theme of this show is that when you have distance between you and something you love or you and someone you love or a place that you love, like that creates the opportunity to explore that grief. Like that distance is inherently grief. And like, if you kind of, my experience of like, you know, allowing it to wash through me has given me a chance to explore all of the feelings that um, the, the roller coaster of feelings that come with it. Mm. The the camera's on. Uh, I like that, but I'm curious what your experience was because people people were eating and you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I just. <laughs> Personally, just did a cl- uh, like a, I taught a little workshop and with college kids, and the, someone was yawning, and I was like, "Oh no, it's boring. I need to." Da-da. Like, yeah. do you have yeah. moments of that during the show? For sure, for sure. And sometimes I decide to watch people, and sometimes it's a mistake. Um, so I've recently just started watching, you know, the black screens that just have the names of people that don't have their cameras on because sometimes it is hard. Yeah, sometimes it's hard because mostly because, uh, and this is this is kind of my gripe with the show is that there are intense moments of tragedy and there's so much sadness, but there is also so much levity and they're like a true sign of an audience member for me that has really taken the leap is someone who will laugh at the funny things despite being steeped in the grief. And so if I tell a joke and I don't see someone laugh, I'm like, Oh, they are just sad and they all of a sudden they have this tragedy on their plate that they never asked for. They're going to leave the show being sad and upset. And that's all this is, you know, this, this whole piece also just really rests very, very gently on this very fragile logic that I have created. That was, you know, indicative of the first few weeks of my grief. And that logic is still really fragile for me. Like that, and it's hard to explain the logic without explaining the whole show. But like, as I'm, as I'm performing this show, I, I need a certain level of feedback to feel okay and supported in performing it. And so sometimes I can watch people and that's encouraging, but sometimes I'm not getting the feedback from people. And so I decide to watch the black screens. Mm. Yeah. Like it's gotta be, I, I've only done one zoom show and I appreciated seeing the, different people in different places but i also was it it was like it's a variety show like different people were singing and it yeah. was like light it it would that would be yeah it could be oh really yeah tough. yeah i am like burying every part of my soul in this show and especially like i'm going back into my childhood and you know there's a, a certain degree of like needing to buy the audience's trust at a certain point. And so I start acting like a child, you know, I'm like diving back into my kid logic and it is so vulnerable in so many ways for me to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and so, yeah, yeah. Just, just, (laughs) well, that's, go go ahead, go ahead. 
<laughs> well, I was just going to say that like the, a lot of the jokes are to kind of create that lev- levity. That's yeah. their function. Yeah, because they kind of help people like, yeah, this is this is heavy. <laughs> but yeah. we're still like, we're still alive. Like, we're still, yeah. Yeah. yeah, trust me, trust me. Somebody gave me this like really amazing piece of feedback where he was like, yeah, about 20 minutes into the show, I just had no idea how you were going to end this. Like, I had no idea how you were going to end this in any kind of way. Um, but I was really, really pleased by the end of where it ended. And, and that, you know, I think that most people come into this show knowing the tragedy that exists in this story, but also in some way they do trust that I'm going to lift them. I'm not going to leave them at the lowest point. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, something that's really important to me in this story is that the tragedy is not the end. Like I'm not telling this story of love lost. And then you all of a sudden walk away with loss, like, or being sad that I've lost this love or, you know, you're sad that this person was taken away, but like he is taken away in the middle of the story. And then there's a whole nother, act of the story that happens after that and that's why I'm telling this story like I'm that that's why that's the healing part of it that's the sense that's the meaning you know um and so just again it it really goes back to this audience agreeing to take this leap with me which is cool yeah I think one of the things that's really powerful to me about your perspective is something that like at 51 years old I'm just like kind of getting (laughs) And that's that multiple emotions can exist at the same time. Like you're having immense grief and this gratitude mm-hmm. at the same time, which mm-hmm. seems like a really powerful takeaway. Like it's obviously a part of the story, but it, did you intentionally put that there? Yeah, it's, it's the, it's hard. It's, it's the universe that I'm left with. I keep thinking about, I ha- there was a certain point where I had to write myself in as a character of this story before it was just Jose. And then I had to write myself in and my constant thought at the end is, okay, there's the climax, but then what is my dismount? Where do I end at the end? And it's like, well, the universe that I'm living in this, this universe that I'm sitting in right now is a universe that contains where this experience is associated with both bad and good. Right, this this experience of having met Jose and loved Jose and lo- and lost him is associated with both that destruction and that loss, but also the gratitude. Okay, well, this is the world I have to move forward in, right? Um, and it was really, 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 it was really loud at first, and it's and I knew that the journey would have to end in this place where I'm where I'm at peace with it, um, and and you know, so much of this story is about how the parts of this story were kind of laid out before me and presented to me. And one of those parts is that, um, you know, Jose was from Venezuela and he had this, there's this regional word from Venezuela. I think it's also used in the DR and Honduras, but, um, it's, the word is saperoco and it's, it's one word that can be used to describe both bad and good. Right. It can be used. You can use it in the context of describing a party that is just like super, super fun or a party that is just like chaotic and wild and and just like way too much. Right. Um, And so this was a word that he loved to use and he had stitched it across his T-shirts. Like this was a word that, 
you know, it represents both ends and beginnings. It represents destruction and creation. And he carried it with him. He brought it with him from Venezuela in the way that immigrants do and the way that I have words from Puerto Rico that you won't hear in other countries. Um, and you kind of like those words carry with them a piece of home. They carry with them connection to this place that you can't see. And so that was really like, this is a big part of the story, but that was like a really, you know, me coming around to under really truly understanding the definition of that word and learning how to embody that word and live within that word. It again felt like this token that he had left before he had to depart of this thing that would help me and, and those around him process this grief in the same way that it felt like this virtual reality game was something that he left in his wake to help us process when he would eventually have to go. Mm. Um, and again, this kind of taps into a bit of the magic that is introduced in this piece. But, um, but I think by the end, the audience, you know, the feedback that we're getting is that people are laughing while they're crying, right? They're, they're, they have these like two emotions going on at the same time that are very, very visceral. Um, and that's all the universe of Saperoco. Uh, I'm happy to know about that word. <laughs> yeah, it's a good we don't, one. We don't have a word for that in yeah. English. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I use the word spirituality in a really general way. <laughs> Before I'll just throw that up before I ask the question. I mean, it sounds like, I'm, well, I'm curious about what working on this project and um, your experience of losing him and all of the things that have grown out of that and the way that you sort of think of writing, co-writing this show with him. What Was that a spiritual belief that you held already or is it something that's developed from this experience? It's interesting because I... I'm not aligned with any religion and I hadn't been before this, but I was somebody that believed that everything happens for a reason. And I would kind of use that as a way to think forward in my life. Like, okay, if this is happening, then it's, it's going to be setting me up for something. And then when Jose died, you know, that's kind of the last thing that you want to hear when, <laughs> when you've lost someone, especially in any kind of tragic way. Like yeah. that didn't, yeah, that didn't really make sense to me. And I'm, I'm not, I think the way that I have continued to believe in something is by thinking almost by thinking backwards, right? By thinking, okay, all of those things happened to me. What is the meaning that I can take from those things? How can those things propel me forward? Like what is not like, why did those things happen in the way that I was thinking before? But I think after tragedy, it's like, um, what did that give me that will like help me move forward with that thing? Um, and I mean, after he died, one of the things that really propelled me in writing this was, were these moments of connections that I felt like I was having with him. Like I had these really big questions after he died that I was consumed by questions like, why did I meet him? You know, why, um, like, why did he die? Why didn't I die? Why wasn't I the one in the line of fire that night? Like, why was, you know, why didn't I, why didn't I know this thing? Like, why didn't I know that he, he, you know, two hours after I let him, left him, he was going to be in the path of evil. Like, why did, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around how I didn't know. And, you know, mm. I'm a person that loves control. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that was really hard. And, 
So I was asking all of these questions and um, because I had nothing to believe in, you know, I was full of questions, no answers. All I could do was just listen for answers, right? It's like you hit this low, this new low where you just have nothing. All you have is answers. So I was just like, okay, well, I might as well listen for answers. And the answers that I felt like I was getting were these moments that felt like they were connection. And it, you know, this is where it gets into like, I'm not interested in proving what the connection was or who the connection was with, but like in a kind of a magical way, it felt like it was moments of connection with him. And and as I kept writing, I kept finding these moments, right? And those moments is are, are what continued to encourage me to write and later perform this piece. Um, and so in many ways, you know, the answers that I was seeking, I, I didn't find them in religion. I didn't find them in science, but instead I found them in creativity and, and in flow and in this sense of connection with something larger than myself that was giving me answers to these questions that felt completely overwhelming. Mm. And did some, did more answers arrive from actually performing the show? Like, with that interaction with the audience? Yeah, a bit. It's, yeah, more answers, but then also more questions. (laughs) Just, Just because I had created, you know, you kind of create this piece of art that is almost this world in itself. And it was so perfect when I created it because it just felt like it was me and him and we were doing this thing and it was perfect. And then I go out and start sharing it and a lot of, like just putting it in front of people in the way that you do with any piece of art creates certain doubts, you know, all of a sudden I'm like telling people about this, you know, I'm sharing, I'm bottling up this experience of when I was the most vulnerable in my life and I'm sharing it with people. And I start to just get nervous about how it's perceived and, you know, whether people think it's bad or, or they believe me and what are the stakes if they don't believe me, if they think that I'm crazy, that <laughs> might affect how I feel about myself in this moment that, again, still feels vulnerable. So it's like just putting it out there just p- opens it up for criticism in this way. That I'm like, wait, but I'm still living this, you know? <laughs> yeah, like it's really um, <laughs> your story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I hate, like, I feel like there's not going to be a smooth transition out of our conversation because this has been so, like... <laughs> connected but it is time for us to wrap up this conversation but i want to make sure people know where to find the show and how to watch it and how much longer it's running it's not much longer is it no it's not it's until april 22nd is our last show on zoom um so if you you, tickets are at delejos.net um or you can go to any one of my profiles there in the there in the bio um but yeah delejos from afar um we'll be doing it for another three performances uh, such a it's such a cool project like and like any like i really love the whole thing so much it's like anything i say it was such a cool project felt really <laughs> really dismissive no <laughs> but i no, think you get the all. idea yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and I, yeah thank you mikey i would love for you to come come see it in, in person because it has a different energy in person yeah sure. I'll, i definitely will Oh, I think that's it. If, for people who are listening, uh, I'll put links in the show notes for this podcast so you could find ticket information. And uh, if you're a patron, we'll be having a further conversation uh, over on Patreon that'll come up in a couple of days. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thanks, Mikey. And so we come to the end of another episode of Mikey Pod. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Julie, for being on the podcast this week. Uh, thank you, Shark Party Media, as always, for the great connections with artists who just ah, land just right. If you are interested in seeing the show, grab a ticket. Chances are limited. And uh, this is really something special. I will be seeing it this Thursday night. Uh, let me know if you're going to be watching it, too. I'll probably see you in the Zoom room. And that's it. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. And uh, see you next week. But I already said that. So goodbye. <laughs>